0: Not necessarily sitting there going, don't shoot the no shoot, because what's the first thing I'm gonna do?
1: <laughs> shoot the no shoot. E-
0: exactly. Well drill two alpha in the center of the no shoot. So
1: I have a question for you then. Now that we're talking about no shoots and stuff because now we're talking about targets that you know you have a, a minimal aiming area. And Steve Preaches center of the available target area. Which I totally agree with. Um, do you in because when you took Ben's class, he talked about looking at a spot and aiming at a spot. Do you do that for those partial targets as well in training?
0: I do. I kind of at different distances, I, my focus is a little different. So another thing that he mentioned in his class, uh, I was we shoot stages in the middle of the class, and I was shooting center of the available target on a no-shoot target that was at seven yards. Well, I'm dropping two Charlie on it every time. And he said, it's literally at seven, you know, whatever it was, seven, ten yards. He said, it's really close. He said, you can drill two Alpha on it all day. He said, do you think the top guys are taking two Charlie on it and going? stopped and thought on it for a second and I'm like no, probably not. They're probably taking their 2-alpha on it and moving on. So I think there's a distance where you go from I'm getting 2-alpha on this target to 2 rounds in the center of the available target. I think you'd have to really sit down and math it out and figure out what your skill is and what your abilities are. Right. Uh, Because for me, if it's inside of, let's say inside of 12 yards... Most targets I can typically get two alpha on inside that distance unless it's, you know, a headshot. Sometimes I'm on the gun enough where I can say, okay, I'm putting two rounds in the head box dead center of the credit card. Sometimes I can do that. Other times I may pull the gun out of the holster and feel like I'm holding it upside down or, you know, uh, just feels like a foreign object in my hand. Well, on those days I'm, Uh, I'm probably not going to be able to do that. So it it comes down to
1: degree of difficulty for that target. Correct. Okay. And and that makes sense. And I can see it seven yards. I mean, you could probably see every detail on the target. So it's easier, but 12 yards, you may not.
0: Yeah. It's, it's dependent on your vision as well. It's like, uh, you know, I may not be able to see it, the A zone clearly at this distance, but someone else might be able to. Um, I, I kind of like play with it at like local matches and I'll play with it in practice occasionally and figure out, okay, at this distance, where do I need to be aiming? What can I get away with? How many points can I get at this distance? What splits do I need to be shooting at this distance? That sort of thing.
1: Okay, and, I, and I've heard that. So you do kind of think about that type of thing. Now, do you think about that in a match or only in training?
0: Uh, I do it in my training so that I have that information for the match. Uh, I'll kind of like sit there and – so let's say if I'm shooting doubles at 25 yards at my house, I'll play around and shoot at different speeds. That way I can say, okay, this is what I'm seeing with my sights – And this is the speed that I can see my sights in the center of the target, each trigger press, right? And whenever I'm looking at a stage or something, I'll sit there and think, okay, I don't need to spend all day shooting this target. Like if it's a 25-yard open target, I probably don't need to be spending all day trying to shoot two alpha on that target because chances are there's a lot of targets inside of 25 yards and I can pick my two alpha on, rack up my points on the close targets and just shoot a you know a 30 split at that 25 yard target and be done with it that's 25 or a 30 ideally shooting 20s doesn't always happen <laughs> rarely happens um i've seen people do it they're a lot more baller than i am middle of the match i try to for the match enough in advance where I'm like, okay, I know what my abilities are. I know what my splits are. I know what my draw time is, my reloads. What can I get away with here? That's how I kind of approach the stages in different target arrays.
1: Now, does that affect your stage plan? Do you work your stage plan for those things or just what flows better for you?
0: Typically, I'll look and see what seems more efficient. Uh, I'll step okay. it out see which one has the most steps. Uh, and it's interesting on some stages, like the stage nine at low cap, you had the option of taking a target at 25 yards. It was wide open target. You could take it at 25 yards or you could add six or seven steps to the stage and take it at three.
1: Oh. Okay,
0: And it's like, okay, can I move faster or shoot faster? Well, I, I go with shooting faster because I just didn't want to add the movement to it. Uh, and another thing that I've heard at the same time, uh, Shane Coley said it in the middle of a match, the closer I get, the better I get. So mm. it's, there's two different schools of thought there. It's like, okay, yeah. do I close the distance and hammer out the points? Or do I not add the distance and just shoot the stage? Uh, it It's very dependent. Depends on what the movement is, what the layout of the stage is, uh, how I'm feeling that day on the gun. Um, you know, it may be as simple as looking, seeing what everyone else is doing go, okay, if I choose a different stage plan than everyone else. I'm either a genius or an idiot, and there's no row in between. Yeah, uh, it's like if you watch the Super Squad shooting stages, they're typically run the stage similar, okay. in the same way. And I, once again, if you run the stage different than everyone else, you probably fall under one of those two categories.
1: Now, I will say this: when so last year, I shot Carry Optics Nationals at CMP. Mm-hmm. So I made sure to shoot opposite of the super squad so I could watch both the men's and women's super squad. And there was one stage where everybody shot it one way except for two people, JJ and Max. And those, so those two were both under, it was either 19 or 18 seconds. The only other one under... 19 or 18, whatever it was, was nils. So they did it a different way than everybody else. And I would have thought it was slower. Because at the start, you ran all the way to the left, shot, and then had to come all the way back. So like you had to backtrack where the other one was like a circle. But come to find out that all the way to the left and back was actually faster. Because I saw... Justine Williams shoot it all the way to the left and back to And I'm like, man, I totally missed that. So on occasion, you know, there is that weird, I, I kind of take JJ. Well, you could almost take Max out of it too, but JJ for sure. I was like, okay, maybe it was just his speed, you know, was just that much more. He's quick foot. But, you know, I saw Justine do it. I saw other people do it. And I'm like, okay, I missed that one. And so did most everybody else. So Nils was just so good. He was able to, you know, keep up with Max, but J.J. won the stage. And I want to say Max and Nils were less than a tenth of a second from each other. So they ran almost the exact same time. And J.J. was like three quarters of a second faster.
0: And occasionally you run into that and it's like...
1: Yeah. You're not going to beat that. I mean, he's just quicker. So I I put that on just his... you know, fleet of foot.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Sometimes that's definitely a factor.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now I want to back up for just a second. I got to ask you the national championship quiz. I forgot to ask you. Oh, uh, so how tall are you? I'm five, eight, five, eight. Okay. Yes. So you are four feet 20. Did you grow up on a farm?
0: Uh, not necessarily a farm. I, just
1: property,
0: a, yeah, a ten acre property in the middle of nowhere. So I've got a range, my okay, yard, but not a farm.
1: Okay, and were you homeschooled?
0: I was for a bit. I was homeschooled okay. from third grade to eighth grade.
1: So two out of three, not bad. So what we found, oddly enough, just asking as a joke, we'd ask those questions, and we found that people that answered all three of those are high level shooters. So, <laughs> and, and it came as a joke because. In 2020, when I went to Carry Optics Nationals, we watched the production super squad and everybody seemed to be like six foot five. It's like, this is ridiculous. Well, no wonder they're always winning. It's crazy. And then so we were like, we're going to start asking people. And then we're like, oh, well, that's weird how it all just kind of panned out. It's not scientific (laughs) at all, but it's just funny how it's coincidence. Yeah, it's
0: like, "Mm."
1: yeah, very odd. Now, you you mentioned earlier that there's like a core set of drills that you like to go back to. What, what are you... If you don't want to say what those drills are, what are you specifically rehashing or retesting?
0: A lot of it comes down to a lot of recoil control, timing the gun, accuracy within a certain you know, time limit. So I'll shoot dot drills which, for me, it's like a two-inch dot. You shoot it at five, six, and seven yards, depending on where you are as a shooter. Uh, You have five seconds from the holster to shoot six rounds on one of those dots. I have probably shot more rounds on that drill than anything else, mostly because I couldn't pass it for the longest time because you're supposed to shoot two rows clean, cold. Beginning of your practice session, not dry fire, nothing. Set the target into the ground start shooting. It took me a very long time to be able to clear that. I'll shoot build drills at different distances, which I'm kind of like going more towards shooting doubles at different distances than build drills okay. after I took Stager's class. Uh, I'll shoot the accelerator drill. And mm. I... I've done two different variations of it, one with the open targets at different distances and another one with an open target at like 7 yards, zebra at 15, and a head box at like 20 or 25. Uh, If I can clean that drill, I I end up going into the match pretty confident. If I can shoot a 25-yard head box on command, I feel okay about my shooting. Uh, I'll shoot the Bianchi plate rack drill fairly often. Um,
1: interesting. Do you I, shoot Bianchi at all? Uh-uh. Okay. You okay, just shoot the plate drill. Okay.
0: Yeah. It was introduced to me and I started seeing the value in it. Cause it's like, if I shoot that drill and I can go 48 for 48 on it, Whenever I go into that next match, I typically find myself shooting steel way better. And it could just be a mental thing, but it seems to work, so I don't argue with it.
1: Uh, uh, I would say it's a confidence thing, so I would say it's a mental thing, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's also figuring out what the trigger press needs to feel like and what the sight picture needs to look like at different distances on, you know, eight inch plates. Uh, because we see many poppers at distance all the time, and uh, with the accelerator drill, we'll see options to take uh hardcover targets at different distances. So that's why I'll shoot it occasionally with the zebra and the headbox target. Mm. That way, you know, whenever I see that target array in a match, I'm not wigging out. Right. So it's <laughs> like if you. If you've been shooting head boxes at 25 yards and you see one at 10, you're like, oh, that's cute.
1: I yeah, mean, I, mean, yeah I, I can run by this one.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I'll just you know crank two off at that one and call it a day. I mean, there's been instances where that hasn't been the case, but for the most part, it does help. Uh, I'll shoot some of the uh, oh, I got it from watching Shane Coley's videos. It's a transition drill of his where it's like... He does it with a plate rack, I'm, I think, and two open targets. Um, There's just drawing, shooting open target, small piece of steel, back to another open target. Because um, I have a tendency to either throw points on the, the cardboard or just completely send around off to the side of the steel. And that gets me you know, go stop kind of thing where it's like, all right, rip two at seven yards on an open target. Now, stop and shoot a plate at, you know, 18 yards. Stop, press the trigger, shoot again. Um, I would be shooting a lot more different drills if I had a flat range, because mine's kind of like sitting on a hill. Uh, But if I just had like a bay to shoot in, and some more props like barrels, I would definitely be shooting stuff like Track A Zone from Stager
1: mm, and yeah,
0: a lot of his different grills I would be using. It's just a little difficult to set up whenever you ain't got any barrels shooting on an incline. It gets a little bit more difficult.
1: Now, uh, the picture with the STG-44, you work at that range? Yes, sir. So do you ever get the opportunity to, after hours, practice? Uh, no.
0: Yeah. Pretty much at 7, 8 o'clock, whenever they close, depending on the day. Doors are closed down, everyone's going home. Uh, and that range has a rule with no holster drawing, even for me.
1: Even for so employees, like, huh?
0: Yeah. Wow. So it's like it's like, well, can't practice here. Not the stuff I need to, at least. Uh, I could do table starts and practice it, but okay. I'm not sure how the owner would feel about me using the range. Uh, even on off days. <laughs> going in there and be like, Hey, I'm using this range. So if y'all get filled up over there too bad, you know, I would have to rent the range or something.
1: I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah. So uh, other, I've got aii uh, I've got a membership to arrange now. It's a, you know, 30-40 minute drive from my house and uh, I had the membership previously and what I'd do is if I need to shoot box drills or something, I'd go there and do it because you got a 100 yard range with two or three pistol bays I can run a pretty wide variety of drills on that uh, so I plan on getting me some more props, loading them into a truck and driving out there and setting up more drills But
1: Okay Yeah, for a little yeah. more complicated setup yep okay yeah well, that's not too bad that's quite a few drills too now what does your normal dry fire look like is and what i mean i'm not saying specifically what do you do from the time you start to the time you end but like how often you know are that type of thing
0: uh so it really depends on like how many matches I'll be shooting or anything like that. It's not something I do every single day. If I'm getting ready to shoot a big match, I start doing it quite a bit more frequently. Uh, The big issue is I have this spot on my hand that I have yet to figure out. Um, It hasn't calloused over or anything. It's just a sore. Hmm. And it just so happens to be right where the trigger guard sits on the support hand. So whenever I start dry firing a lot, I start irritating that spot. It, yeah. Yeah. And I've tried Coban on it, lifting tape, duct tape. Duct tape actually works the best because it doesn't get beat up by the metal trigger guard. Um, I, I try wrapping it. Uh, wrapping it helps for a bit, but after a certain amount of dry fire and even live fire, it starts irritating it. And what I find is whenever I get it to swell up a little bit and then draw the gun, it gets to where it's a pain holding the gun. And it's like, yeah,
1: it's
0: I distracting hesitating more. Yeah. I start yeah. hesitating more. Uh, so after I developed it, like, uh, draw time slowed down just a bit, mostly because after I draw the gun, I'm like hesitating a little bit, getting my support hand onto it. Cause I used to smack my hand to the gun. Um, uh, I developed it while I was shooting the Glock and it lines up perfectly with the double undercut. Okay. I don't know how, don't know how it happened. I went to doctors and they look at it and they're like, well, we could freeze it off. And I'm like, is that going to do anything? Is it going to redevelop? They just haven't told me any, anything specific. Cause they don't really have an answer for it. I'd say I'm probably the only person coming into them and, you know, <laughs> Little Grayson County going, hey, I developed this likely from shooting. Can you help me with it? Um, I've asked other people about it. I'm like, have you seen anything like this? And they're like, no, I haven't had it before. Uh, I even mentioned it to Niels, and he's like, well, that's weird. I'm like, okay, if Niels is telling me this is weird, (laughs) it's probably weird. Uh, I've ran into a few other people that have it. I think that it ultimately comes down to having – the hands of a young woman. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what it seems like. Uh, of course, I do have eczema, so I get really dried out skin. And, mm. You know, sometimes my the skin on my hands acts a little weird. But I've had that for almost two years now; it doesn't go away. So, uh, I, I wonder if I a buy, dermatologist
1: buy, like, might be see? able to help you.
0: That's, I plan on going to a dermatologist to get them to check it out. Uh, every time I get ready to do it, I'm like, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what i will do about it. Uh,
1: Doesn't had, hurt though, uh, you know.
0: It, no, I had a surgeon came into the range, and uh, he kind of like glanced at. It. He noticed it on my hand. He looked at it and he goes, "Well, that needs to be lanced." I was like. I think I'd like to go to a dermatologist before I make that decision. <laughs> I want a
1: second opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's like,
0: here, here's my pocket knife. Go ahead and just cut it out. I mean, uh, but yeah, that kind of like affects how much I dry fire occasionally. And I, I sound like a pansy for saying that. But it's like, <laughs> if I get really bad right before a match, it irritates me. Um, I. If I'm getting ready for a match, though, I'll either go to dry firing every day or every other day. Uh, mostly, I'd, I stopped working on par times as often and started working more on consistency. Like, okay, instead of okay. working on doing a 90 reload every time, I'm working on hitting my reload every single time. and That seems to be a little more important in the middle of a stage than yes anything uh like whenever i was wanting to make gm a 90 90 draw 90 reload was awesome that was perfect i worked on that all the time do it you know trying to work on my power times getting my draw time down really low but now it's mostly me trying to do everything consistently get a consistent grip on my draw Um uh, Still, I haven't figured the scoop draw out. It's definitely faster, but the amount of times I go to do it and I end up with a gun in my hand like this right? pretty often. Um, Or even better yet, I end up holding the back of the beaver tail. Uh, That's no uh, better. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not at all. It's a little bit worse, maybe. Um,
1: Isaac Lockwood has that thing down to an absolute T.
0: Oh yeah yeah there are some guys out there that i mean did they just nail it uh, right and i started working on it after i was shooting florida open and i heard sal luna go you know scoop draws the way that's the only way to do it And i'm watching <laughs> him and he's like yeah he's doing scoop draw every <laughs> single time every stage doesn't matter the target he's scoop drawing wow and I, and i'm like how do i learn this ability and i start working on it and i I'd always get caught up on the beaver tail or something and occasionally, if I've dry-fired a bunch, I can, I can hit it. But as soon as the buzzer goes off, I end up going back to just going over top of the gun. Uh, so I, I've kind of just accepted I might be losing a little bit of time on the draw. Um, now, if I go out and shoot a practice session and I look at my draw time, and I'm like, a 120 to a 7-yard target, that's bad for me. Then I'll go back to working on part-times in my dry fire, or I'll sit there on the range and I'll load the gun, go down to an 80 on the part-timer, or sometimes even a 60, and sit there and dry fire that for a good 5-10 minutes, then load the gun back and go back to shooting. Uh, If I notice a big issue in my dry, like my live fire, I'll go back to dry fire, resolve the issue and then okay. go back to the live fire um, work on transitions pretty often um, honestly whenever I work on transitions anymore pretty much it's me coming into my room and going huh this would be a good time to work on transitions for like 5 minutes take 5 minutes just move the gun around stop it in the middle of targets and then just lay the gun back down go back to doing whatever it is I'm doing throughout the day It's not necessarily a dedicated dry fire session. It's like walking to my room, my gun's laying there, and I have targets on the wall. I would be an idiot to pass this opportunity up.
1: There you go. You were ninth last year at Production Nationals, as we talked earlier. Have you worked on anything specific in order to improve upon what you did at last year's Nationals?
0: Pretty much what I've worked on the most is being more aggressive in my, not only my shooting, but my moving as well throughout stages because I have a tendency to be two and three seconds behind everyone else on stages, everyone that's in the top ten. I'll be way behind them. it's like, okay, well, why is that? Well, I just get very passive about it and relax in my shooting, start shooting slower and then moving slower. Well, you're watching the guys that are on the super squad. They're not doing that. They're aggressively moving through the stages. Uh, And that's something that I have to shoot a lot of matches to work on. Um, That's the biggest thing I've hit. Everything else is like, okay, I know what drills I need to be doing to shoot with everyone else. Um, My... My live fire has gotten a little bit more difficult as far as shooting plates at further distances, partial targets at further distances. Instead of shooting no-shoots at 20 yards, I'm shooting at 30 or 35, that sort of thing. Uh, I so don't really get to practice swingers very often, but more of harder target arrays. I work on shooting those and shooting them a little bit more aggressively instead of standing there on top of them all day to get two perfect shots off. Uh, I have a tendency to slow down whenever I see open targets at distance as well, trying to work on that. And then just with my movement in general, picking a spot that I need to move to and sprinting to it instead of just casually running to it.
1: Okay. So it sounds like you're doing a lot more of the non-shooting stuff to minimize that. Uh, A
0: lot of it's, yeah, a lot of it's the non-shooting stuff and, a lot of it's the non-shooting stuff, but also just different details of the actual shooting itself. Like picking spots on targets, the visual stuff, not shooting 30 splits at a 18-yard open target because I have that tendency as well. Or t- having to post up to shoot everything mm. instead of taking some targets on the move that I can take. Stuff like that. Okay. Um, just trying to do harder stuff instead of always going out there and doing the same practice session, you know, shoot build drills and bike drills, stuff like that, at seven yards, trying to push the targets out further, make the targets a little bit more difficult, that sort of thing.
1: Okay. Now, what does your make ready look like?
0: Um, too long. <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> I I hear that all the time it's like I'm sitting there and I'm I sit there and I'll go through the stage at least one more time in my head grab my start mag load it in the gun I have a habit of once I've loaded the gun I eject the magazine push the bullet in the top round back into the mag because it's after you load it it's always pushed out a little bit I'll push it back in the mag. Not that that does anything at all. It's just something I've started doing and it just hasn't changed. And then I will press check the gun that started shooting a Glock and then I let the hammer down. Reality, I should be letting the hammer down after I press checked it. Anyway, um, once I holster the gun, I typically will not pull it back out again. I've seen people take loaded sight pictures. I I, I just don't do it. Um, I'll sit there for... Until I feel either relaxed or just ready, I'll kind of like sit there for a moment, go through the stage if there's something in you know my visualization of the stage where it's like that wasn't right, I'll go all the way back to the beginning of it and do it again mm. until I can sit there and see it like a video playing in my head of, okay, this is that target array, this is how I'm taking that, this is where I'm doing the reload and I'll sit there until I've got that figured out. Once again, takes way too long. And then once I sit there to myself and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to shoot. I'll take my hand off the gun and shoot the stage. Uh, something I picked up from, I think it was Rob Epifani that I heard it from. Uh, whenever I'm working on trying to shoot more aggressively on the stage, I'll sit there and I'm taking like quick breaths. As if I was, you know, getting ready to lift some heavy weight, trying to get my heart rate up Uh, that way, you know, that heart rates through the roof or something, sometimes that's better for me. Because otherwise I start looking like I'm driving Miss Daisy through a stage, you know, just casually shooting stuff instead of aggressively moving through the stage. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Big fan. My problem is I use way too much of it. Way too much of it. I I joked with someone the other day. I was like, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a scoop of pre-workout.
1: There you go. Like
0: 15 minutes before I have to shoot a stage. I'm like, that sounds like a great idea. And, of course, you got people that look at me they're like, you're insane. Of course, I'll say this on the range uh, at work because – no one there hardly shoots any practical shooting sport, mm. so they're still the ones at the ten yard line. They're like, make sure you got a slow trigger uh, right. squeeze with your handgun at ten yards, and make sure you take your deep breaths before you shoot. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I'll take a, I'll take the Ghost Energy drinks, and I'll drink like half of that before I shoot a stage that has a thirty yard steel target on it. And they're like, you're lying. I'm like. Am I? <laughs> you'll never know. I know I'm not, but you'll never know. Right. Maybe one day I'll just take a scoop of pre-workout at a local match and see what happens.
1: There you go. I, I drink co- I drink caffeine all match long, because I want to yep. you know I want to be alert, ready to go at all times. So, I'll drink coffee in the morning yep. and then I, I follow it up thing. with Bang energy drinks the rest of the day.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I try to watch my caffeine intake just a bit because I have a tendency to go way overboard with it. You're young. Uh, yeah. There I, I was at one point where it was like 900 milligrams of caffeine a day. Sounds like a perfect intake level. No, apparently not. Uh, you know, I try to cut it down to about three or 400 milligrams a day. That's, that seems a little low to me.
1: Yeah, it definitely doesn't sound healthy at yeah. all. That That's too low. I mean, it's yeah, it's yeah, t- it's a food sure. group.
0: Yeah, exactly. It is a food group. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you have to get your your daily value. Or, and Look, I'm a
1: paramedic. Like I know these things.
0: Yeah, there we so, go. So,
1: Yeah, it's science.
0: <laughs> it is. <laughs> I was telling my doctor what I was doing, and he's like, "Like, I, maybe you need to cut back a little bit." And I'm like,
1: eh, "You're okay, young."
0: You know, take my pre-workout at 7 o'clock whenever I get off work and wonder why my sleep schedule's messed up.
1: That workout's good, though.
0: Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I took uh, some pre-workout once that was 450 milligrams a serving. Wow. I took the full serving at at 8 o'clock. Horrible idea.
1: (laughs) Did you run a marathon?
0: (laughs) Uh. I did a lot in that day because yeah, I bet uh, I worked out in the gym for probably right at two hours. After I got done lifting, I was like, "Let's go to the treadmill." Go to the treadmill for a bit. I was like, "We should probably go home, <laughs> drive home, lay in bed until two a.m. in the morning, staring at the ceiling." And I'm like, "I am an idiot for sure." <laughs> yeah, not the greatest idea I've ever had. I'm definitely not a genius in that aspect.
1: But well, I mean, but you're not dumb because have you done it since? No, no oh.
0: I haven't done that since. Well, there you go.
1: <laughs> All right. You, you only do things once and that's how we learn. So, yeah,
0: this is true. <laughs> yeah,
1: no big deal. Oh, yeah. Now, my my last question that I had for you is what is your ultimate goal in practical shooting?
0: Right now, I pretty much just seeing what I can accomplish. and You know, I would like to get a top five finish at the Nationals within the next, you know, two years. I would like to be able to accomplish that. Um, I would like to be able to get within 5% of the guys like Hetherington and Niels. Um, maybe in the future be able to win the Nationals. But trying to do realistic goal setting within, okay, you know, different time periods. Because, like, okay, if I'm working – 40 hours a week at a gun store but those 40 hours are throughout the day from 10 to 7 what's my realistic window of opportunity for training and you know off of my pay how many rounds am i able to shoot that sort of thing
1: yeah life factors and all of that
0: correct it's like okay at this rate where am i going to be that's kind of what i try to look at uh, so I try to keep it realistic. That way I'm not going to nationals going, I'm going to win nationals this year. Meanwhile, you got, you know, the top five guys, I would say, are con- like that. The year starts and they're like, I'm going to win this match. And that's what their time is focused on doing. Also, I have to factor in the mileage that they have. It's like, okay, I don't have the mileage that Nils has. And I not can't even just close. muster it up. Yeah, I can't just muster that up. Uh, it becomes, how close can I get to him this year? Can I get 5% closer than I was last year?
1: 1% percent's an improvement. It,
0: it is. Yeah. 1% is, in fact, an improvement, especially whenever, once again, taking consideration that he's probably getting better as time goes on. I mean, uh, I think it was 2020, He, I don't think he had the best finish at uh, Nationals, and I think <laughs> – I talked to him after that one and uh, he'd had a list of things he was going to work on and then wins it the next year and then decides that I'm just going to win everything
1: the year last after. year.
0: I do yeah. believe. Yeah. I think he, I think Four. he was just like, you know what? I'm going to decide I'm just going to win whatever nationals I can win. I was like, Oh my God. I mean, if that's not proof of someone getting better, uh, I, even at his level, it's like, okay, he's still got room to grow. And he
1: is uh, still actively working on his mental game.
0: Yeah.
1: Crazy. Yes. Because you wouldn't think that That's someone insane. who wins four national championships in one season would need to work on mental his mental game. But, you know, he knows his what his weaknesses are, air quotes, but – you know, and, I, and that's obviously not a weakness. But if he feels he can make it better, that's a scary thought. That's like Eric Grafell saying, "Oh, I can, I can get better." Get out of here!
0: Exactly. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. How far behind am I? Yeah. I mean, it's insane. And I really enjoy watching those guys shoot, and even just talking to them. It's like, the, I mean, they're just another person like us, but at the same time. It's like, he's got something figured out that I haven't got.
1: Absolutely. It's not necessarily the physical aspects of the game, but the mental aspects and putting it to use during the competition. There's something else going on there. I mean, he has synapses firing that I don't somewhere.
0: Yeah. Like, there's something going on in his head that I don't know how to articulate or Think about in the manner that he does. I right. mean, it, there's for sure mental aspects that the guys like that have that those of us that are haven't quite got to that level for sure haven't figured out yet. Uh, and some of it can also be like the physical skill as well. Uh, like sure. I'm not going to be the arrogant guy, and I'm sure you've ran into guys like this that are like, "Well, I can shoot just as well as he can." No. No, I cannot. Uh, I've heard that one a few times on the range in general, whether it be at work or on an actual practical shooting range. You hear someone look at a shooter that's way better than them, they're like, well, I can shoot just as well as they can. No, the answer is probably you cannot shoot just as well as they can. They have put work in that you don't see to be able to do the things that they do. I mean, I'm pretty realistic in knowing I'm not as good of a shooter as these guys are because you're watching them shooting. You're like, yeah, I can't do that yet. I'm not at that level yet. Uh, but it doesn't mean I'm going to sit back and be like, well, I just can't do it. And I won't sit there and be like, how can I learn how to do this?
1: Yeah. And, and it, and, and it may come down to, they just have more time to put in than you do. You know, there, there are so many different factors, but the bottom line is, They are like those guys who think they can shoot as well as them. They're not putting in the time that those guys are dedicating to their sport.
0: Exactly. You know, even with me, it's like, uh, yeah, I spend my time dry firing. I try to hit the range occasionally. I mean, I'm not shooting every week. At one point, I was shooting every week. But with my job, it's like, okay, not only do I not have the time to shoot every week, which I could probably make the time it's what's my financial status here. Yeah. No, we're not buying a box of primers at $120 a thousand. Could there be more I could do for sure? I mean, I could be the guy that wakes up at six o'clock in the morning so that I can get some dry fire in and then load up 50 rounds and go out and shoot the plate rack. I've, I've done this before, you know, leading up to a major match where I'm like, okay, I need to be on the gun. These are the things that I need to work on. I'm willing to sacrifice some sleep or sacrifice some time where I'm out doing whatever. Sacrifice that time to go to the range or dry fire, or sacrifice money that could be used for, you know, a fancy meal occasionally, or whatever it might be, to go out to the range, burn some ammo and try to make some progress, but it's not something that I'm going to, well, haven't gotten there yet where I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat ramen noodle every single day and start driving a smart car to work or a moped so that I can afford every single round that I can shoot gun range. But there's guys out there that are like that. I mean, they there do are. exist. Yeah. And, uh, it's like talking to stay it sounds like at one point that was him. He's like, "Yep, yeah,
1: I would agree. Whatever
0: I can do to put it in. It's like, I kind of get it. I, I understand why, but, uh, it's also a thing of, I'm trying to still yet enjoy, you know, my off time as well. Deciding whether you want the balance of what do I got to do to win the nationals within the next year or so to, how much do I want to have a normal life, which I think at a certain level, that's just not even an option. It's like, okay, all of your time must now be soaked into this, and your resources and your finances are going to be soaked into this. There's times where it's like, yes, that's where I'm at. That's where I want to be at. And that's whenever they're like, okay, let's start bill prepping so that I can afford more ammo, That's when that starts taking place. And something that happened whenever I wanted to make GM, it's like, okay, I'm not going to visit my friends because I need to be on the range. I need to be shooting matches, that sort of thing. That's happened. Um, Once you set your goal of this is what I want to do, that's when you start making those trade-offs.
1: Now, do you teach?
0: Uh, I do through the store a decent amount. Okay. And... I do a little bit on the side privately. It's nothing to write home about because there's not too many people in this area that are like, "Hey, I want to," you know, get training with like me specifically. Because by appearance, I don't look like someone that the average shooter goes to. I, you know, I, I look like a accountant or cashier at uh, Walmart or something. I definitely don't look like a guy that's shooting at all, and I've heard that a lot in the store and stuff. I used to work with a guy he was tatted up, former military. Everyone was going to him for classes and stuff, but he was, you know, D class shooter. Mm. So it's like,
1: but he looked like, the part. Yeah,
0: he's, he looked the part. That that's what I run into a lot here is like people want to take classes from that someone that's got. You know some sort of military resume that sort of thing but then you'll run into the guys that are like okay i understand what a uspsa grandmaster is and i now want to take a class i've had people that you know i'm sitting there talking to them typically that's not that's not something i bring up in a conversation where i'm like oh by the way i'm a uspsa grandmaster i the only time I'll do that is whenever I'm listening to someone in the store actively talking about competitive shooting. And even then, typically I won't say a whole lot, but it's whenever they start bragging to other people and trying to like mm. belittle them a little bit because they're a competitive shooter. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Pull up the USPSA membership card and go, by the way, right in front of them, that moment has happened before. But I'll have people that I'm talking to they ask me my name, I tell them, they go home and get curious and start doing research, you know, a quick Google search or something like that. And they either, you know, uh, run into my YouTube account or Instagram, they run into something and then they'll come in a few days later and go, Hey, got a few questions for you.
1: That's mm, happened before. Okay. Start asking for recommendations.
0: Yeah, they start either asking for recommendations or start asking if I teach classes and stuff, right. which I'd be an idiot to sit there and go, no, I won't turn down extra money.
1: It helps with shooting matches. It, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's like, okay, if I, make, if I make money off teaching a class to someone like a one-on-one or something, that can go directly to me getting primers or me getting bullets, uh, paying for new equipment gas, hotel to room, That's, gas. Yep. It, Entry exactly. fees. Absolutely. Yeah. All yep. of the above. And uh, yeah, for sure. I have an agreement with the store where it's like, okay, now that I see that there's some people in this area that would be interested in that, can I start advertising it in your store? They agree with it. So I'm like, all right, so going will get some business cards made. I had some business cards made. I'll sit them out there, at the, you know, the range counter and occasionally someone will pick them up and contact and be like, Hey, can I get some training with you? Sure. But first come out to the range and let me see you shoot at least what's first or, you know, right. get to know the person before you go do a one-on-one class with them. That sort of thing. Whenever it comes to teaching, uh, it's not something that I'm fully devoted to, but I do recognize that there's money to be made there and there's a need for it because in this area, if you want training, your options come down to what seems to be the average NRA firearms instructor that is preaching the slowest trigger squeeze at seven yards right? and hard sight focus.
1: Yeah. Bullseye.
0: Uh, Yeah. Or the, uh, push pull method and vice gripping the gun and, Oh, what's some other good ones I've heard making sure your stance is perfect for every shot. And, uh, Oh, I've had, Oh, Oh, Oh yeah, I'm like, man. I wonder if that's the reality in like you know a self defense situation where you can just be like, you know what? Let me make hold on, hold on. Let me make sure my stance is right. Let me get my base. (laughs) Let me make sure my stance is right. Yeah, yeah. And after I've drawn my gun, hold on. Let me press the trigger through real slowly. So don't run at me yet. Let me let me start pressing the trigger first. After I explained that to a few people that they came in one the basic pistol class, of course, my idea of basic firearms instruction and the store's idea is a little bit different. Uh, For them, it's like this end to the target, this end towards your face. Don't point this end at your face. That's basic instruction. For me, it's like here is how you shoot acceptable hits at seven yards, but also at 15, 20, that sort of thing. You know, let, let's get you operating the gun properly and understanding that you don't have to have a slow trigger squeeze with every round. I have people that come in and take that, that have learned how to shoot from you know their uncle that was military or their local NRA firearms instructor, that sort of thing. I'm sitting there watching them shoot, and I notice that they're doing this for every shot and the target's five yards away, five to seven yards, they're doing this. That's where I'm, I'm kind of like, hey, let's grip the gun and just smash through the trigger. And, of course, they look at me like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, get an idea here. If uh, someone's running at you with a knife or, you know, just came in through your window at your house, are you going to sit there and press the trigger the same way or are you going to smash through it? I guess I'll be pressing the trigger a little bit faster. I'm like,
1: yeah. Probably All a whole right. lot faster, I would hope anyway.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's like, because you need that gun to go off now, not two seconds from now. This moment is when you need the gun to go off. And then you see them, they'll press the trigger, and then they look, and they bring the gun back up and shoot, and look. Here's another idea. Let's practice on shooting multiple rounds and not looking at the target. And, of course, once again, they look at me and go, what, what are you talking about? Well... Are you going to shoot one round and look at the guy and go, well, he's not on the ground yet. Shoot again, look at him, go, no. Nope. Same concept. It's not that I'm sitting there trying to teach them defensive shooting or anything. It's trying to get the concept across that, hey, being able to operate a gun at speed is a good idea all around, instead yeah. of trying to bullseye shoot a pistol. There's a place for the you know bullseye shooting as well, and the slope pressing of the trigger but the average person that gets a concealed carry permit really needing that skill as much as being able to pull the gun out of the holster and put accurate rounds on a target in a rapid succession
1: yep Um, minimal amount of time
0: yep getting that idea across that it may not be one round that you need it may be multiple rounds. Let's get used to shooting multiple rounds instead of shooting one looking at the target, maintaining our grip for, for those multiple rounds. And uh, I love whenever they'll come in and go, so do you teach defensive pistol shooting classes? And they go, no. I, shoot, I I teach pistol shooting classes, period. Look at me weird again. It's. I like the quote from Brian Enos in his book where he mentions you know i'm not going to mention the use of shooting in a defensive matter throughout this entire book the only thing i will say is if i had to save someone from drowning i would much rather be an olympic swimmer probably going to approach shooting in the same manner
1: yeah that's a strong swimmer
0: yeah, it, yeah exactly it's like i would much rather be a really good shooter if the gun ever comes out of my holster than i've shot my pistol once in a year
1: Right, uh, and very slow at five yards.
0: Exactly, exactly. Of course, then they get wrapped up in the idea of, well, this is a, we need a defensive pistol shooting class. And I'm like, what is your defensive pistol shooting class teaching you? Because if they're teaching you shooting slowly at five yards, is it really defensive? It sounds like to me they're just like, that's a nice check you got there. I'm going to go cash it. And now let's give you some Functional information training. that seems useful yeah exactly yeah. And I get annoyed by that whenever it comes through the store I probably shouldn't get annoyed by it but it <laughs> it does annoy me <laughs> um, another one I had recently was someone came in they was asking me about shooting a pistol match and they said we're going to come in and shoot the match but first I need to go practice some more before I come in here and shoot this thing and I went that's not how you do it and it looked at me like what do you know I said, you come in, you shoot the match to see where you're at, and it's an honest assessment. You take the test and see what you need to work on. I said, you don't go, well, let me go practice before I go shoot this local match, because no one's going to win the bass boat here. Come shoot the match, take your notes on what you need to practice on, and then go go back and practice it. They stopped me, and they said, I should stop you there and let you know I am an NRA instructor. I went, that's cool. Don't care. Does not <laughs> matter. That that. The timer over here does not care what your certifications are, it doesn't care what your classification is. No. Hit factor doesn't care. Shoot the stage, shoot the match, use it as an assessment. Once again, it's like, okay, if you have to get in a self defense situation, are you going to say, Hold on, I haven't practiced. We can't do this right now. Maybe stay at a you know, a proficient level with your carry gear and and shooting in general so that you're not that person. That's once again, afraid of shooting a pistol match. They're not shooting back. I mean, right. it's not, it's like, I, I hope to God that never happens, but maybe induce some stress in your shooting to begin with. I guarantee you that's a whole lot more stressful than all of your friends watching you and the worst thing that happens is they laugh at you for the next two or three weeks about you drilling six rounds into a no shoot.
1: You, you don't know what you don't know until you do it. Exactly. So, yeah, I agree with that.
0: It's very interesting seeing what comes through the door. I'm like, maybe just learn how to shoot the gun. I mean, there's, there's people that teach the tactics, that teach the actual defensive stuff that's legit. Go to those guys for that. But learn how to shoot the pistol. Don't get wrapped up into, well, this is a defensive class. All this stuff is just for competition. It's like, this is just operating the gun. It's basic yeah. stuff. It all flows
1: together. Yeah.
0: It's like, learn that and then go, you know, take it your own direction. Like, if you're a competitive shooter, go take a movement class to learn learn more efficiency, mental management, something like that. But if you're law enforcement, military, go to the guys that teach the tactics, the room clearing, and stuff like that. But learn how to shoot your stuff.
1: Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I learned to shoot in the, well... I learned to shoot before I went in the military, but I didn't, I shot very little pistol, maybe none at all, actually, before I joined the military and everything was NRA style bullseye shooting that I shot. And now I see now that was, I mean, I got out almost 30 years ago and now I see where those Marines are now running USPSA style courses on active duty, and I'm like, that's exactly what we should have been doing back then, because it it applies much more towards defensive use of a gun than me standing there waiting for the target to turn, fire five shots in 25 seconds at a bullseye, or slow fire at a bullseye target at 25 yards. You know, that moving and shooting and getting accurate hits on target in minimal time All of that is so much more applicable.
0: And that's what I hear a lot of from uh, not only guys that come through the store, but soldiers and Marines that we shoot with that are in those combat MOS jobs or have been overseas. They're like, you know, this is why I shoot competitively. And it's like, so you're saying it it does apply to your job. They're like, yes. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, that makes sense. And uh there's a guy locally, he's a Marine. And he goes over and shoots the uh uh what is it, the Marine Corps marksmanship challenge, does that sound right?
1: Okay. Uh, and Maybe I, I mean like I said, I got out I got out in ninety four, so and I spent almost ten years yeah, in it. So it's been yeah. a day or two. <laughs>
0: it, yeah, a little, little while. Uh but, but it does
1: sound somewhat familiar, yeah.
0: Yeah, he said that they're doing their scoring on what they're calling lethality factor uh, something to that effect and it's you know it's uh points divided by time <laughs> that
1: sounds really familiar
0: <laughs> it's like man that sounds interesting it's like okay the point system's probably completely different but it's like okay i understand the concept now i, I see what y'all are doing i'm like that's cool he's like yeah i like i go out and shoot competitions uh, he said, and it's looking very much like USPSA style stages and three gun style stages, that sort of thing. I'm like, that's awesome. So it looks like that it's going that direction for those guys.
1: Well, Brennan, that's what I have. Is there anything else uh, you wanted to touch on before we close this thing out?
0: I think we're good.
1: Man, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate you coming on.
0: on. Oh no problem. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Until next time,
1: don't be a little bitch.
0: Yeah.